The call for proposals for Voice Summit 2020 is available now. Having the opportunity to speak at Voice Summit will be highly competitive this year. So if you'd like the chance to be a speaker at this year's event, fill out the form at voicesummit.ai and click on Apply to Speak. Proposals are only open until January 31st, so be sure to get yours in now. That's voicesummit.ai and click on Apply to Speak. Inside Voice was recently interviewing live in person at a voice tech event called Project Voice in Tennessee. On this episode, you'll hear Tim McElrath of Discovery talk about their new voice skill, Food Network Kitchen, a multi-platform cooking platform that delivers on-demand cooking classes, live demonstrations, recipes, and TV episodes on Alexa smart screens, followed by Diana Dybel talking about VUI in emotionally fraught industries. Then you'll hear Adrian Glover discussing the importance of using human voice actors for your skills. And finally, Amy Stapleton talking about how she's making storytelling more human and interactive with voice. Hi, Inside Voice podcast listeners. This is Carrie Roberts, and we are back today at Project Voice Live. And I'm here with Tim McElrath from Discovery and Food Network. Welcome. Good morning. It's Thank good to you be for here. being here. So tell me about what Food Network is doing with voice. You just showed me an amazing application the videos are gorgeous. Tell me what you're doing and what it looks like. Okay, so just recently, last last October, we launched a new product for Food Network, which is called Food Network Kitchen, which extends our existing brand. You know, people know the TV shows mm-hmm. um, and our recipes from our website. We're also adding um, uh, culinary education. So we have on-demand cooking classes, live cooking demonstrations, how-to videos, and uh, the, you know, of course, the full the full battery of uh, Food Network uh, TV episodes. So everything that was free before is still free for everybody. But we've added additional content that's available for subscribers. So and this is available across all platforms: connected TV, um, iOS and Android, and now Echo Show on uh, Amazon Alexa. Now the, the exciting thing about this is that that brings all of that culinary content, all of that how-to culinary knowledge right to your kitchen counter and available to you immediately and hands-free. So you can go to any of these live cooking demonstrations, these step-by-step cooking classes, and our recipes, bring them up immediately and be able to start cooking without having to touch uh, touch a screen. Which is great. And you were just showing me one of the things you have on there is the live demonstrations. And one of the great pieces of it is you can ask a question and that particular person can answer it for you as they're going to the demonstration. Yeah, that's one of the most exciting things we're, we're, we're doing right now. It's, it's kind of like a Twitch experience, right? So um, not only you get the spontaneity uh, and the fun of seeing a live cooking demonstration, we have up to 10 of them a day in our New York and Los Angeles studios, as well as um, at remote locations like Molly Ye's Farm, if, if for any Girl Meets Farm fans. Um, and during those demonstrations, on right now on uh, our mobile and connected TV platforms, you can actually ask a question while the demonstration is going on, and a moderator will forward that question to the talent, and they'll answer you. They'll answer you back while live on air. Now, currently on on Echo Show, you can watch these demonstrations. We're working with Amazon to see if we can bring that functionality to a to a hands-free voice-first device, so that you can just use your voice, ask a question while the demonstration is going on, and they'll answer back to you. Which is, I mean, it's so helpful because we always have questions when we're cooking and to be able to ask the chef that created it is just even more of a fun experience. Now, you talked about it will work with your phone, with the Echo Show. If I'm going to buy groceries, everything's kind of connected. Can you talk about how it works that way? Right. So that's all one account. So once you sign up, when you sign up for Food Network Kitchen on a mobile app, part of that part of that process is you can link your echo devices right from that right from that subscription registration process so as soon as you're done you walk over to your echo device and you can get all that content immediately without having to do any account linking or registration on device and that also means that you can watch you know say you're watching a TV show of you know um, Giada entertains on your on your fire TV you like the recipes you can say save the recipe Later on, you're you're in the you're in the grocery store. Pull up the app. That recipe is still there, and your saves. You can get the ingredients, and then you can wander, get home, wander it over to your kitchen, pull up your saves, and you can start cooking hands free using that recipe. So exciting! Have you? How long has it been out? Have you gotten any data or any feedback from users so far? Um, users are actually really excited about it. Uh, our biggest challenge right now, and it's been out since about October. 
um, is really uh, um, educating consumers on what they can do because this is kind of a new new platform you know in some ways we're kind of you know there are a lot of streaming platforms coming out you know Disney plus you know Netflix has been out for a long time where you just sit back and watch content this is both watching content and participating in the content and actually using it in your daily life and you know getting getting customers accustomed to the fact that now there's this way that you can get your recipes without having to store it in a box in a cupboard and look for it or have a whole shelf full of cookbooks that you have to take to the copier and make copies so you don't get grease all over it, that it's just right there for you whenever you need it so that there's no really friction between the person who wants to get better and more comfortable in the kitchen and actually getting that instruction on how to do that. So, I mean, it's really exciting. I've been using it um, you know, I'm almost exclusively using it myself, and it's kind of, it brings it brings more cooking into my life, which which for me is great. It's like when when uh, Amazon Echo came out, and all of a sudden I could play music whenever I want. It brought more music into my life. My family was able to experience music easier. This is allowing us to experience, you know, it's kind of the pleasure and that sense of accomplishment of being able to make food and feeling comfortable in the kitchen. And you know it's it's you know it's it's been proven that like people who cook their own food tend to be healthier, tend to make healthier food. They tend they tend to save money rather than ordering out or ordering prepackaged food. And you know it's more of a social experience. So you know you're you're taking care of your family, you're participating with your with your with your spouse or your children or your extended family or your friends in making food. You're sharing food information. Um, it just, you know, you can tell I get excited about this stuff. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's really a way of enhancing people's lives and, um, and doing it in a way where the technology doesn't get in the way. Yes, I agree. I am somebody who doesn't love to cook, but this would make me want to cook because it is interactive. I can ask questions. I can see it. A lot of times you're reading one thing online or you're looking at a picture and you're looking at your stuff and it doesn't look the same. Right. <laughs> and then you get frustrated. So this is just a great way because it is interactive. It's more fun. It's more engaging, which I think is what we need. And what you touched on is something I love about voice is that it's not about technology replacing things, but how can we use it so that we can interact with other people, other things, be healthier, live healthier lives. I think that's really important. Right. And, and we have a pretty ambitious roadmap for 2020, some of which I can't talk about but there are a couple things that we've announced. Um, we're looking to add online culinary help for subscribers, and this is going to be culinary help from live culinary experts. So if you have a cooking question, you can go to Food Network Kitchen and you can be in touch with somebody who's an expert in cooking and get your questions answered. Now, the potential for that for voice-first devices is you know, pretty exciting. Um, you know, being able to have something on your kitchen counter where you can ask somebody directly a uh, cooking question while you're in the process of making food. That's exciting that, you know, we talked about being able to do live interactions via voice and also, um, you know, kind of enhancing the connections between some of our content. So we have a ton of how-to videos for, you know, simple thing, tasks like how to mince garlic, how to clean a grill, how to, you know, chop an onion properly. And the ability to answer those questions in the moment um, so that your you know, Alexa platform and your Echo device is really kind of a, your how-to central for all of your cooking questions. Yes. And I was told recently that the, the number one question people ask is always a how-to when it comes right. to voice. So right. this is a perfect fit for that. Right. And we're, we're working with Amazon to, 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 get the, to make those paths as easy as possible. So you don't have to try to figure out a way to ask the question properly in order to get the answer you want. Just you know, speak naturally. Ask you know, like, how, how do I mince garlic? You know, like, how do how do I clarify butter? And just immediately get that answer and be able to keep going on whatever task you're doing. Yes. Now I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about you personally. I met you last night and you talked about you studied photography. Right. And then you got into technology and you're doing this. Can you tell us a little bit about that path and that journey? It's been a long path. I've been I've been in technology about 25 years, but before that, um, yep, I did. I graduated from Rhode Island School of Design uh, way back in the Jurassic era. Um, <laughs> uh, but my but my family was actually very computer literate. My father was a was a computer programmer. He started programming in 1963. Wow! So this was back in the punch cards and vacuum tube days of computing, and. Um, 
so we always had computers around the house, and we we you know had some of the first uh, personal IBM PCs when they came out in the early '80s, and we I was doing programming as kind of a hobby growing up. So it, you know, fast forward after I got out of school, I was working for an architectural photographer and doing some uh, prepress, which turned into digital prepress, and that was about the time that um, you know that first internet boom of the mid to late '90s, and you know, having some design experience and having some uh, technical experience was really kind of the the right combination for that period of time. So I kind of got pulled into a lot of different jobs. You know, I worked in financial services for a long time, and then I, I switched up and worked for some, worked for a music publisher, and then I did some digital agency work because I was I, what I'm really trying to do is find that balance between. Uh, doing design and doing technology, and how design and technology can can work together, which is which right now and you know right now is the most fun I've ever had working in technology because not only am I do I get to work on real customer facing technology that helps to really enhance people's lives, but doing it in a uh, on a platform and in an area that is brand new, and we're kind of making up the rules as we go. We're we're doing a ton of learnings every day, based on based on customer feedback, based on all of the platforms, their new features that they're coming out on almost a daily basis. Yeah, I, I that's one of the things I love about it is the creativity. There's so many people. When we go back and we look, they were photographers, writers, filmmakers, yeah. designers, performers that are now in voice technology. And yeah. I find that incredibly fascinating and exciting for creatives. Do you enjoy now because you get to kind of use this photography visual background with the technology, especially what you're doing for Discovery and Food Network? Do you love that that blend? Yeah, I, 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 I love working. I love that area of design and I love working closely with our design team and watching them learn as well because that's one of the big challenges with voice first design is, you know, for larger organizations, you know, this is this is new stuff for them as well. You know, they're they're used to doing purely visual design and, you know, yeah, you know, doing web design, doing mobile design, using those those visual and haptic paradigms, you know, adding voice to that and the the mixture of both voice and visual information and how to balance that off in a way that feels natural for the customer. Those are, that's a new set of skills for for our design teams as well. And it's a tremendous amount of fun kind of learning that as we go. Um, and on top of that, uh, you know, we're here at the voice conference right now. Um, I just love the community. Like the, the people who have been drawn to this community and the diversity of, yes. of, of diversity of voices, quote unquote, that we see here is you know, kind of unique in, uh, in, in technology. I, I don't see that in a lot of other um, you know, technology organizations or or conferences, so it's a real pleasure to be here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the voice community, I don't know if it's because it's still new, but everybody is so welcoming. Everybody wants to work together. Mm -hmm. They want to learn. People that would normally be competitors are trying to help one another um, to grow the industry so we can do more. Yep. It does feel a lot to me because, because I'm a little bit older and I remember the late 90s, mid to late 90s, when people were still trying to figure out what the internet was and what web design was and what worked and what didn't. And you know, going forward, knowing that this was going to be a huge paradigm shift, but not knowing exactly what it was going to look like in the future, but no, knowing that you know we would all be working together to figure it out. Yeah, I agree. Where can people connect with you, learn more, or learn more about what Food Network is doing with Voice? Well, you can go to you can go to Food Network, foodnetwork.com. Um, you can look up uh, Food Network Kitchen in the iOS, iOS, uh, Apple, and Android, and Fire TV. And you can also check it out on Echo Show. And me personally, you can always go to uh, uh, my Twitter handle is Tim McElrath. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure. Hello, Inside Voice podcast listeners. We are here with Diana Dybell. Hi. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. So you are speaking tomorrow at Project Voice. Yes. Tell us what you'll be talking about. I will be talking about, uh, it's called High Stakes Conversations Using Voice in Emotionally Fraught Industries. So, so basically, what does that mean? how to use voice when you have um, a really emotional context from your users. Specifically, I'm in, in the money sector, so it's specific to finance, but also with examples from healthcare and insurance. So can you give me an example of what that would mean? Yeah. So, um, well, one that I've dealt with a lot is uh, somebody passing away. And people are obviously justifiably pretty emotional. 
um, usually grieving. And so how do you talk to them when they are in that state and they still have to go through some kind of automation while respecting that and getting them to what they need to get to as quickly as possible? Something I've never thought about, but yeah, that's very true. So how would you suggest doing that from a conversational design part as well as an audio part? Because I would assume, like, does it make more sense to have a voiceover artist do something like that? Yeah, for sure. As much as you can um, when you're in an industry that you know has a lot of emotion in it, using a, a VO artist as opposed to TTS, just it's easier. You can control it a lot more mm -hmm. um, and you can get those different reads so that if you do have different kinds of contexts and people coming in from different paths and you know that one is going to be likely a more aggravated, like angry path and one's going to be a more neutral path, then you can have different takes of that same audio depending on which path somebody's coming from. Um, harder to do that with TTS. Uh, so yeah, definitely voiceover and then um, a lot of user research. Knowing where, like the literal journey that your customers are on when they come into your skill or your IVR system or whatever sort of um, platform you're, you're working on, it really helps to understand where your customers could be so you can at least accommodate for that should they be in a more heightened state. So when you're doing research on that, are you doing research maybe interacting with therapists? Are you interacting with people that are going through that? Where would you be pulling that research from to understand more about the emotional state? Yeah, so very literally from users um, going either, uh, well, starting in the beginning, like when you're doing that scoping process, doing um, just generative research where you go and kind of just do ethnographic research or one-on-one -on -one interviews and talk to people and really get to know kind of like the ins and outs, the whys and hows of what they're doing, as well as pulling from chat and phone records and emails where you can very clearly see or hear when somebody's in an emotional state and kind of how they got there. Sometimes they come in hot, like whatever it was, it happened outside of your skill or your uh, phone system. But other times you can you can hear the build or you can see the build if it's a chat bot, for example. Um, you, can, you can see what happens and how that escalates and then hopefully be able to address that further upstream before it gets to the place where it got really emotional. Yeah, and I know you've written a lot about kind of the emotional state when we're doing voice as well from like um, cultural references to, yeah. um, you know, when we're translating and, you know, how somebody says something in a different language might sound different than how we do that. So it's something I think is really important that I haven't heard talked about a lot, um, especially since one of the things that I've learned so much about voice is that it's not about pushing it out to everyone. A voice experience is a lot of times one-on-one -on -one and yeah. that an individual has a lot of things they're experiencing at different moments and in different parts of the world, they're experiencing different things. So that seems a little overwhelming to be thinking about <laughs> every single person in every single state and every single uh, mental state, emotional state, how they're speaking. So how do you go about, you know, doing that in the correct way? So once you do have that research and you kind of know where, where this is getting used, both from like a modality perspective, as well as like physically in context and regionally, um, it helps to kind of take them one at a time and then create modular uh, content that you can swap in and out. And then you can kind of just find those paths of how somebody would get from point A to point B and plug in the modules as you go. So it doesn't feel like you have to design for every single context that could ever exist, but it's more about these like interaction moments so that you can kind of plug and play. And then obviously that means that you have to do a lot, a lot, a lot of testing to make sure that that is, that flows correctly and it doesn't sound just like a bunch of modules stuck together. And transitions in that case can be really important. Now, where did your interest in voice come into play? <laughs> I have a playwriting degree. Yes, I know you have TV pilots as well. Yeah. <laughs> which I would love to hear more about. Go ahead. Um, that is my background. My background is uh, entertainment and kind of like fiction writing, playwriting, which is all dialogue heavy. Um, and I love, I love messed up relationships and I love the way people talk. Like those are my two fascinations. So um, honestly, voice design brings the two together. <laughs> Yes. Because <laughs> you get like the, the psychology of people's relationships in the way that they speak with robots because you take, you're using such a human medium, but you're removing the human from the medium. 
that you really kind of get to the core of how people behave and the things they want and who they are. I just think it's fascinating. I love psychology and I think it is as well. Do you think that there is like, do you think the way that somebody interacts with a robot and AI is similar to how they would interact with a person? Um, to a certain extent, yes. Like we, obviously there's like a ton of research on people anthropomorphizing everything. Um, so to a certain extent, yes. However, like there's also all this research on how if you acknowledge that it's not a human, that it's a robot or an inanimate object, you remove the biases and the perceptions that we bring into human conversations from that scenario. And so all of a sudden you have these freer conversations than what would happen in a human-human interaction, which again, like kind of pulls back the curtain a little bit yeah. on people's true selves and is so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. So as I was saying earlier, you you were in playwriting and you do TV pilots yes. with another woman as well. Yes, Can Tiffany you Green. talk about where that came about and how that kind of even fits into the other stuff that you do? Uh, yeah, like how the pilot script writing came Yeah. Up. So um, when I graduated from school, I was kind of like not sure what I was going to do and moved to New York and fell in with a group of uh, other entertainment people, actors and casting directors. And um, from that group, I met my writing partner, Tiffany Green. And at a certain point in our 20s, we were kind of, she's an actress. Um, she's also really, really tall. She's six feet. And um, something that's not really obvious, but in film, a lot of times it's hard for tall women to get cast because uh, you, most men in the film industry are shorter and like the way that the camera frames everything, mm -hmm. it just, you don't really get a lot of ingenue roles when yeah. you're that tall. <laughs> so <laughs> we were looking for um, something that she could be in and I wanted to write something. So we worked together to create this show that then we co-produced and uh, it became a web series. We wrote just one season of it called The Underlings. And then from there, we really found this like love of working together. And she's really good at like the, the big picture. What are we saying here? What are we doing with this? And probably unsurprisingly, I love the dialogue and the nitty gritty and like, how do we punch this up and make this funnier? <laughs> I so like that. So when you think about that stuff you do and then the stuff you do with voice, do you tend to work with a lot of brands or clients within the entertainment space? Um, so Grand Studio, the company that I work for, mm -hmm. we're a product design and strategy consultancy. We do work a lot in the entertainment space, but we also work a ton in finance and healthcare and insurance and these really sort of what you would consider probably drier, more regulated spaces. Um, but I actually think that the two blend well because um, entertainment and sports can be so wild that bringing some structure to it helps people navigate that a little bit, especially in something like a, a voice interaction. And in the health and finance side, it helps to have a little creativity and personality injected in there. Because I think a lot of times, because the material is so dry, you lose that humanness in those interactions. Even on stuff like just microcopy on a website, it helps to have somebody outside the space bring that in so that they can relate to humans the way that everybody kind of wants to in a business. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because those you said, uh, finance, insurance and healthcare can tend to be dry. And yet at the same time, they are very emotionally heavy. I mean, yeah. people have a very uh, big emotional attachment to money, you know, whether they're <laughs> they getting do. it or not getting it or losing <laughs> it or need more or someone's passed or whatever. Yeah. Healthcare. I mean, so it's interesting because you're right that we need that emotional component um, within it. And it's funny because in customer service with real people, we don't always get that. Yeah. Well, and I know that it. we've almost sort of like um, automated our human customer service representatives by making them adhere to these scripts and not allowing them the flexibility to truly deal with the problem. Mm -hmm. So in that context, unfortunately, we've already sort of trained our users to deal with that immobility. <laughs> so when you can actually inject some of that humanness back into the experience, whether it's through a real person and allowing them that flexibility or just injecting some humanity and emotion into your your IVR or your chatbot or whatever it is that's dealing with the customer service, um, it makes such a difference to people and it's really noticeable and a game changer. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are always talking about ROI and sales. And a lot of times they miss 
the two other ends, which is the brand and the marketing stuff and then the customer service part. Yeah. But what you're talking about helps with both, right? Because when you have things that are on brand and you're serving your customers well, they're repeat. And we all know it costs more to get a new customer and then keep what you have. Absolutely. Um, I mean, is that how you kind of share with people or sell to people that this is the value of this or how do you do that? Um, so again, it kind of comes back to doing that research at the beginning, because if you have everybody that responds to data, at least from a business perspective, it helps to have a leg to stand on. So if you can really gather from, again, if you can't go out into the field and actually talk to people, understand that's not in everybody's resource or wheelhouse, but even pulling from the data that exists, like saying, look, we've gone through these chat logs. We can see people are getting super frustrated here, or they're all coming to us with this one problem. We can fix that. And you have a, a better um, place to start from of this is a value because your customers are asking for it, or we've heard from them that there's this gap and opportunity for you to get ahead of your, your competitors. Yeah, that makes sense. Anything else you want to share with us on this topic that you think it's important for either people in the voice tech field or brands should know about? Um, I think it's just important to consider that conversation is just a purely human experience. And so when we think about like traditional design fields like UX, I think we've lost sight of that in the voice space because it's so new and because people are coming from all different kinds of arenas into it. We haven't really applied those same rigors that we have mm -hmm. to things like screen design. And keeping that at the forefront and those same human-centered design principles in voice will really help you to succeed because it's already there. We just have to use it in voice. Yeah. Where can people learn more about you or your company to connect? Sure. Uh, so my company's website, which you can always reach me on, is grandstudio.com. And my Twitter handle is at Diana Does This. Oh, I like that one. Good. Well, thank you so much, Diana, and, and uh, bringing your insight to something that we haven't talked a lot about. Yeah, thank you, Carrie. This has been a real pleasure. Welcome back to the Inside Voice podcast. I am here still live at Project Voice, and I have Miss Adrienne Glover. She's the head of strategy and content marketing at Boom Integrated. Welcome. Hi, happy to be here. Yes, yeah, so you presented yesterday. I did. Tell us about your presentation. What what was it about? Sure. Um, I presented about um, paying and playing fairly in the voice first space. Um, a little controversial, um, but I spoke to um, the need to pay uh, voice talent if you are using human voices and not to scrimp out. There, oh, there's so many great... Um, business reasons and also just sort of industry standard reasons. I kind of tried to rally the troops and um, make it kind of a call to arms. Like, let's, we are trailblazers in this industry. Let's do the right thing and pay our voice talent what they should be paid. Yes. <laughs> I am an artist uh, in the sense of I'm, I'm a dancer. I've done yeah, writing. So you get and this. And so I get it. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense. People think like, oh, I could just hire anyone to do the voice. But it it's is, not a, is it it's a talent. Not, it's, not, it's not that simple. And, um, you know, if you hire somebody who's not, say, a professional, um, you're going to end up spending more time, more money on the backside in post kind of fixing their mistakes or even in, in, in the booth or while you're recording because they're not knowledgeable about how to express themselves or emote or enunciate. And it's, it's really worth it to investigate working with uh, professional talent. Um, Boom Integrated is a new division of John Marshall Media, which has been um, a leader in the audiobook space for about 25 years. So we really know voice. Um, and we have a wonderful network of um, voice uh, talent, actors, um, singers, um, you know, you name it. But for this reason, because of our relationship with John Marshall Media, um, we were lucky enough um, to kind of piggyback on uh, John Marshall Media's uh, agreement with SAG. So... With the screen. And what is the agreement? Yeah. So um, we have uh, an agreement with them that we will use uh, voice talent from SAG, meaning, you know, SAG is a union, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, we abide by their standards. We agree to pay a certain rate. And um, 
uh, we were one of the first in the industry to have this type of agreement with SAG. Which is great. Yeah, it is great. We we really want to be sort of, um, we want to help set the standards and um, kind of drive the conversation around this aspect. You know, it's all of our responsibility to to build this industry as it should be built. And this industry is is called voice, for goodness sake, right? And, you know, in some ways um, and in some contexts, synthesized um, synthetic voices make a ton of sense. But... Um, if you want to have a warm relationship with uh, your, you know, your audience, right? Um, if you're looking uh, to get people to convert, um, hint, hint, um, human voice is really the way to go. Does human voice scale? No. We did, um, we did a demo, actually, for Voice Summit. And um, it's called Who's Your, Who's Your Candidate? It's, uh, it's live. It's a live skill on Alexa um, right now. And uh, it, it's designed to match you uh, with your, or actually the Democratic candidate of choice. Now, when we first created it, there were 25 candidates in the field. And it was hard to know who stands for what, what whose platform is, is what. And anyway, this idea of mapping um, you to an issue is kind of a, a test that we did with um, Open Choice Dialogue. Anyway, all of this to say, um, this works for the presidential election, but it wouldn't work if you were to roll out this skill at a local level across the country, right? Um, You'd have to have some sort of scaled strategy. And that wouldn't work for human voice unless, you know, you had a lot of people recording at a local level. Um, So do you find that there are more brands looking to get away from the typical device sound of Alexa or Google Assistant and switch to real human voices? Yeah, I think a lot of the research that's coming out, um, uh, VoiceBot AI um, did a study and, you know, it's, it's, it's really context-based. Like, you know, if you're giving up um, personally identifiable information, say, to a financial institution or healthcare, or even so, in some instances, customer service, you know, a, a synthetic voice or poly makes a lot of sense, right? But if you're, you're really trying to engage or engender um, a feeling of trust, for example, you don't want to use a robot. Now, technologies and um, the qualities of synthetic voices are getting much, much better. But the human ear still recognizes the human voice. And there's something very, you know, we can explain it um, scientifically, but there's also something kind of magical that happens at a very core cellular level. I think. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I think it makes a difference. And I've told a lot of people, you know, now with more people building skills, when you're on the Alexa or Google Assistant, they all start to sound the same. You don't really differentiate your brand when everyone has that same voice. So by hiring a voice... Exactly. It's it's, it's yet... uh, Right. It is exactly that. It's another level of sonic branding. Yeah. You know, what does your voice sound like? Um, You know, for this demo that I just described, we knew that we wanted kind of a Glenn Eiffel PBS... You know, sort of a middle-aged woman of color, somebody who kind of sounded like she really knew what she was talking about, um, but, you know, wasn't going to try to sway you one way or the other. And we found the, you know, we found the, the perfect um, voiceover talent in Robin Miles, who's, who's done a lot of audiobooks. You might recognize her, um, but... Um, so how do you go about, I mean, because you're kind of auditioning. Does your company do the auditioning and help the company choose? That's like, how correct. would they go about it? Okay. Yeah, we do sort of, um, I, I like to refer to it, because um, I'm also a food person, to nose to tail. We do nose to tail. So we work with, um, we work with brands um, on uh, what their voice strategy is. And um, for us, the expression could be a skill or an action um, or a capsule. Um, or uh, it could also be a podcast, right? So what's what's right for your brand? And maybe it's both. Maybe everything works synergistically together. Um, we advocate getting marketing involved right from the start because if you build it, they will not necessarily come unless people know about it, right? So we help with the strategy and we do pre-production, full, full production, post, and then we will also help with marketing and distribution if, if you need that. 
Oh, that's great. Yeah. So from so, the, the other side for... So that's the full service agency. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's great. So for people that are on the other side, if they are a voice actor and they haven't really heard about getting into it in this space, yeah. what advice do you have or how would they get involved? How is it different maybe doing it for voice technology than they would do for a TV commercial? Yeah. So um, I think... You know, what What we're trying to say and what I tried to express in my talk yesterday was um, if, you're, if you're a professional, right, or you want to work toward being a professional, we encourage you to reach out to SAG to join the union and, um, you know, get the lift that comes from working with them and partnering with them. How do you do? I don't even know how to do that. Well, so can, can re- anybody can apply? Out. Like, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know um, what all of the qualifications are. Right. Um, you know, I could I could probably school myself a little bit more in exactly what's required. Um, but they they do. Their members are working professionals. So it's a little catch 22. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, this is a this is a brave new world. Um, SAG is getting hip to it. Um, you know, I, I, I seriously recommend if somebody's interested in, in getting into voice, sure, experiment at home, you know, do some offline little sort of discrete projects, but reach out to SAG and find out what's involved in becoming a member. And then from there on, you're part of this giant database that um, that agencies and studios draw from, right? Yeah. yeah. So why was it important for Boom to work with SAG when it comes to really working with real artists and professionals? Um, so whether we're creating our own IP, our own skiller action or show, mm-hmm. um, or we're doing it for a client, um, we pride ourselves on excellence. So we really want the best in the industry. So that's, that's one reason, right? Um, we want to do right by the industry and help, you know, lead the way, pave the way, talk about what's, you know, all of our responsibility to each other. And, you know, the, the voice players in all of this are, um, are a big piece of the pie, right? And, um, you know, then there's this nice idea if you, if you um, pay and play fairly, then your, your voice actors and everybody you work with and pay fairly... Um, they can become your advocates and they can, you know, evangelize for you as well. So it kind of works, you know, it's feel good all around. It helps with um, word of mouth, marketing, um, reputation, and all of these sort of, you know, not easily quantifiable aspects of, you know, building a business. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. Where can people learn more? Um, boomintegrated.com, johnmarshallmedia.com. And um, yeah, we we just, we, we're so excited about what the future holds in voice. Oh yes, my and I love when we pull in the artists and like you said, paying them fairly, using them in the appropriate way. So yeah. it's so great to see. Thank you so much, Adrian. You are so welcome, Carrie. Great to be here. All right, welcome back to the Inside Voice Podcast. This is Carrie Roberts, and I am here with Amy Stapleton of Tellables. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So I want to start off with, you used to work for NASA. Correct. Yes. So tell me how you made your journey from that into the voice technology space. Well, it wasn't like a, a transitioning from something that I was doing while I was working at NASA. I've, I've, even before I started working at NASA, I've always been interested in the concept of artificial intelligence and smart beings and virtual agents like telling stories or having conversations with us. So um, I kind of have a background of I wanted to be a writer, but then I got into technology because that's how I could make my money. I worked at NASA doing just um, software development management stuff, and I had an opportunity to retire early. So I did that because it was a really good timing, you know, in 2015, I could retire and then Amazon had already brought Alexa onto the marketplace. And I thought this would be a great opportunity to just try out the concept of storytelling on a virtual assistant device. Right. So it was, it was pretty cool. But before that, like in 2013, when I was still working at NASA, I had gone to speech tech and I had seen the first iteration of Jibo and that's like a social robot. So my view of how things were going, how the voice world or the speech world was going to work was a little bit different because I thought we would, we would be interacting with more like personal robots, you know, like a personality. Yeah. And then even though 
Amazon had the concept of Alexa as your virtual assistant, you really weren't talking to her in a way that you would talk to a, you know, a, a, a friend or whatever, a smart friend. I mean, not like longer conversations. It was more you had to you had to invoke, you had to start the conversation by invoking a skill, and you would say like, you know, in my case, it's um, Alexa, open my box of chocolates, and then you get into that storytelling experience. You can't just say, hey Alexa, uh, tell me, you know, a, a cool story. I'd like to hear a story. So I don't know. The whole thing has evolved like in a in a weird way, and it's. Um, you know, based on all the conversations I've had here this week, we know that there is a an issue with discovering content, and things are probably going to to change or, or evolve in a in a different way. So it's been really interesting to have all these conversations with people about where the where the technology and where the market is moving to. Yes. Well, it's interesting to hear what you thought it was going to be and kind of where it is now and where it might be going. Yeah. So you work for Tellables. You're very much about storytelling. And right. you, you presented at the conference here Correct. as well. So tell us a little bit more about what your presentation was about. The presentation was sort of an evolution of what I talked about last time because when I was here last year, I had the, uh, the concept of creating an authoring platform for authors to publish their own stories and create like virtual storytellers. Um, and so I did that last year with Tellables and the My Box of Chocolates. It's really, it was an experiment because we opened it up so that independent authors could send stories to me and then I would publish them in this um, monthly assortment of chocolates and each chocolate represents like a little story, but they're all told in the voice of a virtual chocolatier. So that's, that's like the key concept is you feel like you are engaging in a a conversation with a, a a virtual storyteller. And in this case, it's a chocolatier. And the chocolatier is telling you about something that happened in their chocolate shop. And then there are there's a conversational component where, um, actually in this case, Alexa is sharing the chocolates with you. So she'll make a comment after the story and then she'll ask you a question about the story to kind of engage you in it further. So that's, that's what I, I talked about, what has kind of worked with that, what hasn't worked with that. Um, and actually, I also made an announcement, which is that I have a new business partner now. We're continuing this journey of conversational storytelling. And because all that takes money and everything, we're, we're kind of forming a new company. I'm taking what I had from Tellables and moving it to a company called Chattables. So Tellables kind of made it sound like somebody was telling you a story, whereas Chattables is more the concept of you're having an interaction with a person, you're chatting with them, but in the, in the sense of also have having a story experience while you're you're talking to them. Is it similar to like a choose your own adventure style? No, that's where it's completely different. Okay, so yeah, yeah, tell me more. Well, we're trying to create this feeling that you are engaging with a virtual character that's telling you a story, but the character is trying to involve you in the story by personalizing the way that they're telling it to you, by asking you questions and you respond, and then they can remember what you say. You're not changing the outcome of the story, but it's a different feel. So I might you know, start out by saying, hey, I've, I want to tell you a story about my new best friend, but before I go any further, I have to ask you, are you, like, are you, are you a dog lover? No. Okay, so you don't like dogs, but maybe by the end of the story, you might like dogs, right? And so the way that I tell you the story it, and the way that I engage you in conversations, I remember that you told me that you're not a dog lover, and so I'll change some of the things that I say as the story evolves. Interesting. Yeah. So how, well, from a back-end perspective, how many different options do you need to have to tell the story in so many different you, ways. Okay, so as an author, because again, we're, we're, we're working with authors and we're trying to get to train them in this mm -hmm. conversational technique. As an author, you really on, only need to craft one story. However, you would add, you would insert conversational elements and you, you might need to respond to those, to the way the user answers the question in multiple ways. So for a conversational element, I'll need to have a response for if you said, yes, I'm a dog lover versus if you said, no, I'm not a dog lover. But it's, but but after I make that response where I say, okay, I, you, but you, you're not a dog lover, but by the end of the story, maybe I can convince you otherwise, then I can move on to my regular part of my story. But the other part that's, that's interesting but also makes it a little complex is that there are certain questions I can ask you where I can retain that information to use it later. In this case, the fact that you're a dog lover 
or that you're not a dog lover is important. So I might want to use that information later in the story so I can, you know, store it and use it later. See, I mean, it's mm. it, it's really a simple set of tools yeah. because I'm really only asking you binary questions, but I can respond in a different way and then I can remember what you said and that might influence other things that I ask you, but it's not going to change the outcome of the story. So again, we're still experimenting with it. We've, we've had some success in some of the prototypes that we've done. Um, but, you know, we want to continue on that so that we can work with authors to create a compelling, a compelling conversational story experience that people are going to want to engage with. I mean, it's very similar to when you're having a conversation in general. I mean, you're having a conversation with me. You did another podcast. You might have the same topic in mind, but you're going to tell it slightly differently based on the questions that are asked or based on the interaction you have with that person. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of saying it. Right. Who is uh, like your target audience for this? Is this anyone? Is this focused on kids, adults? It's focused on adults. Mm -hmm. And I think our target audience is really people that enjoy engaging with a... um, a very entertaining story that's compelling. You know, it's got rising rising action and they want to hear what happens next. I think people that read a book, you know, people that enjoy books, hopefully they'll also enjoy this experience. It's a different experience, but hopefully they would enjoy it. And then there, there are people that don't really like books, but they enjoy an engaging story. So they might like this experience. Um, you know, it might make for an author, let's say it might open up a new audience because they might not be able to reach as many as many people with their book as they could potentially reach through this voice experience where they're engaging with a virtual character that's telling the story. And, I mean, you're getting so much data. So let's say you're like, I want to write a book about dogs. I think that's what everyone, and then everyone engaging is saying no because maybe they like cats or birds or something else more. That might change how you write your sequel or something else, right? That's that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that, but the, as an author, I suppose, you know, if you if you know what people's what your listeners' preferences are, that might influence what you write what in the future. Write. Yeah. Yeah. So where did this idea come from for you? So you, you retire early and instead of being like, I'm just gonna travel <laughs> and hang out, you're like, I'm gonna start a new business and it's gonna be in this kind of voice space and interactive storytelling. Like where did this idea come from? Like I said, I guess I've had this idea for a long time, but the technology has not been there. And in some ways, I wish I could just hang out at the beach and, you know, relax. (laughs) But I have to have something to do. And this is so exciting. For me, like coming to this conference is is at least as exciting, if not more, than just, you know, going on a vacation. Because I get to engage with all these people. Everything is changing. It's evolving. For me, it's like trying to figure out what's going to work in solving a puzzle. It's challenging because you have you don't know where things are moving. So you want to think out into the future and try to position yourself in a way that you're going to have something that that's compelling but that's going to work in the way technology works later. Like, I, you know, smart speakers, is, is that the way people are going to be engaging with virtual personalities three, four, five years from now? Or is it going to be more from their TVs? Are we going to have augmented reality characters in our homes that we want to engage with. And if we do, we're going to want them to tell stories. So, you know, I don't know. I, my, my view is that we will personify these things more and more. And if we personify them, then we will expect them to tell a more linear story as opposed to a choose-your-own-adventure. Like if I'm having a conversation with you and I'm telling you a story, I'm not going to ask you to pick a path. It's just not how a storyteller engages with the person they're telling a story yeah. to. You see what I'm saying? So you, I'm trying to invent something that works within that constraint. Yes. Do you see like adding where the person interacting also becomes like a character within the story at all or no? I'm not really going that, that route either. Um, because once you make them a protagonist in the story, it, it opens up this, this whole branching thing. I mean, you know, you mm-hmm. give them agency and then they have to like pick which way they're going. Yeah. I really, want to stick with this simple concept of I'm a virtual storyteller you're my audience I'm telling you a story but I'm tailoring it to you and making it very personal and also asking you questions that will help you think about the story maybe even change your mind about some things I'm trying to convince you of something potentially in the story that I'm telling you know but it's hard because 
you know, one of the things we've had people say in some of our early prototypes is, I, I don't really want to be interrupted when you're telling me the story. So we have to figure out a way that the, con that the conversational elements are, they add, they enhance the experience as opposed to making it seem like it's interrupt an interruption. Right, yeah. right. I mean, I know you're doing it from like a more, it sounds like from a more uh, fun consumer side. Yeah. But as a branding person myself, I see this great potential for businesses to use like, okay, if I'm trying to reach my audience in a content marketing space, you know, who is listening? How am I going to adjust that story to them? Like, it's, it's an interesting concept. Yeah. I've never thought about well, it before. I, mean, I like in, it. In my presentation, we also talked about this idea of stories as a service. Yes. So, I mean, what what Chattables, you know, my new company called Chattables, um, what we, what the value proposition we offer is that we're, we're working with writers to perfect this new this new craft, this new style of conversational storytelling. So we will be building this repository of stories. Well, what if there were was a brand that had already engaged their customer in a voice experience? Let's say, you know, recipes or travel mm -hmm. or whatever. They wanted to increase the engagement or lengthen the amount of time that their customer was in their experience. They could go to our story service and pull out a story that worked within that context and then share it with, you know, our storyteller can engage, can engage their, their customer within that experience. I mean, I like the idea of, you know, stories or storyteller yeah. as a service. Is that something that's going to happen anytime soon? I, I don't know. I think it probably will at some point. Um, but That's exciting. So yeah. you said you liked writing. Do you see yourself doing any of the writing, any of the storytelling yourself? I, you know, I really like doing some example stuff and try because it's hard for people to it's hard for authors to understand exactly what you know I'm describing because there aren't really precedents for it so I have a, a fun time at trying to come up with stuff as as an example and then when it worked like I actually did one recently where a couple of people were you know they listened to it and they're like oh wow when you are you when's the next one coming out you know they wanted more and so now I gotta like come up with the end of the story but I'd, I'd rather just hand it off to like more experienced authors and let them do it. But it's it's fun playing around with it to see if I can perfect the you know the technique. Yeah, um, I love it. You know, and I think what I'm I say this over and over again. I love about the voice community is it's people from all different backgrounds doing all different things. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Uh, all different ages, all different um, industries. And I've never really seen that before. And I think it's great that it's like bringing up different things. And I think, you know, you having worked for NASA is interesting, <laughs> yeah. right? Because that's so innovative in and of itself that now you're like, okay, I'm going to do something, another innovative thing, <laughs> yeah. but completely different. Um, and that's exciting. You know, that you're, you know, we can, we can do so many different things and that voice allows us to experiment in a lot of different ways. Right. It's great. Where can people learn more about you and, and your, your business? If they go to our new website, which is chattables.com, they can actually download a storytelling for Alexa writing guide that explains this concept of the conversational stories told like from a storyteller perspective. So if someone's interested in learning more about that, yeah, they can go there or they can follow me on Twitter at Talks2Bots. Perfect. Thank yeah. you so much, Amy, for yeah, being thanks here. thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Inside Voice podcast. We greatly appreciate you being a part of our community. And if you enjoyed this episode or you like the podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, follow, like, share, leave a review of the show. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, people you want to see on the show, things you want to learn, feel free to send us an email at kerry at modev.com. That's K-E-R-I at modev.com. And be sure to check us out online at voicesummit.ai. Thank you. And we look forward to chatting with you next week.